time this morning will be centered around the idea of reclaiming ground previously forfeited. Reclaiming ground previously forfeited. Those that uh, attend here regularly know that I, I generally preach through series, uh, pick a book of the Bible or a subject or a character and, and just do an exhaustive, uh, as exhaustive as I can study on that character, that subject or that particular book. And we'll get back into that in the next couple, three weeks. But having just finished up a series through the Christmas time, uh, we'll take a, uh, a couple, three weeks break and just kind of randomly look at a few things. And this morning, I, I wanted to call to your mind the attention or, or to remind us of all that was lost in the Garden of Eden when we sinned, of the ground that we forfeited. Now, when I first began to develop this sermon thought, I, I had entitled it Reclaiming Ground Previously Lost. But that's not really an accurate assessment of what we're going to talk about. This is not ground that we lost. This is ground that we Forfeited, And there is a difference between forfeiting something and losing something. Matter of fact, I, uh, those of you that know me, uh, uh, I do a little bit of uh, umpiring baseball on the side just for the fun of it and, and, and so forth. And to be in the community and to be seen in the community and, and hopefully to be able to show parents and, and kids that uh, there is a way that can be God-honoring and God-pleasing uh, for us to... to interact in a, in, a, in a competition setting. But anyway, being out there uh, working and, and talking with kids and parents and so forth, uh, every now and then I have to be recertified to be an, uh, an umpire. So one year as I was looking at this, the question was asked in preparing to take the test, uh, how do you score in the official book a score of a game that was forfeited? And I thought, well, I don't know. What difference does it make? If, and there's, it's, it's amazing how many rules there are about how to score a game that's been forfeited. If the game has started and then somewhere during the course of the game it must be forfeited. If the team that is forfeiting is losing, then whatever the score is, that's the final score of the game. But their rule was if a game is forfeited prior to the game ever starting or... If the game is forfeited and at the time the score is tied, then here is what you must do. The final score of the game is 9 to 0. And I thought, well, why? I mean, a W is a W. 1 to 0 counts as much in the win column as a 9 to 0 game. And so silly me, I was curious and I asked. The guy that was giving the instructions said, well, I really don't know. It's just a rule. I said, well, but... But why? why? Why not one to zero? So he and I both went home and we began to do some research. And, and, and I don't know how, uh, if we found out that there's very little information on it. But all we could find was if a game is not started and a team forfeits, the final score must be nine to zero. And it must be that there was one score, uh, one, earn, uh, one run scored by the team uh, that would win the game in each of the nine innings to indicate that the other team had lost the game completely as if all nine innings had been played and that the other team scored a run every nine inning and the forfeiting team scored none. Now, I don't know if that makes any sense, but as I thought about that and I thought about what we forfeited in the Garden of Eden, I thought, you know, if we were going to score that game, it would have to be a nine to nothing loss for us. 
Open your Bibles this morning again to Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Father, we come to you today again. We ask your blessing upon the reading of your word, the explanation of it. May it first and foremost be accurate as we attempt to handle the Word of God correctly and rightly divide. May, second of all, it be uh, applicable to our lives, whether that's convicting us because we've not just simply bowed before you and praised you and worshipped you for what you have accomplished through your Son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf, or whether that is for uh, the need to be saved this morning, to follow you in baptism, to unite with this church. Whatever the case may be, God, may you lead, may you guide and direct. May each and every one of us open our hearts before you and follow your leadership. And we ask these things in your precious name. Amen. God had created Adam and Eve. He put them in this garden in a state of innocence. They enjoyed a relationship with the rest of God's creation that you and I can't even begin to understand right now. Eve would walk and talk in the garden with a serpent and it wouldn't scare her. There was no earthquakes, there was no floods, there was no destructive uh, 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 phenomenon like that. And everything was much different. In that pre-falling world. You see, God had created Adam and Eve and put them in the garden. Now, a lot of people think they didn't have to work. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that they were to work the garden. God has never approved of laziness. He just never has. So it wasn't that they were supposed to sit back and be lazy, but they were to work. Six days shalt thou work. So they, they were to work, but God had placed them there in this state of innocency, and he had provided all manner of, of, of herbs and, and, and vegetation for them to feed upon. And, and, and he said, listen, now there is one tree in the middle of the Garden of Eden. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat of that tree, for in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And the Hebrew there is, dying you will die. It speaks of an instantaneous death. Bam! Happened right then and there. And it speaks also of a process of dying. So what God said is if you eat of this tree that I told you not to, you will experience not just death, but you'll experience two deaths. One of them will be instantaneous. One will be something that will take place over a period of time. The one that's instantaneous is spiritually you will be dead. Bam! The moment you take that fruit, you will spiritually be dead. And then you will also begin the process of growing older and dying. Now we know from Genesis chapter 3 that, that the Bible says that as they, uh, as they were there in the garden and they ate of that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that God had came and he began to uh, pronounce the curses. Curses upon the serpent, curses upon the woman, curse upon, a curse upon the man, and a curse upon the earth. 
And so there was a great deal of ground that was forfeited by Adam and Eve at the moment they ate of that, that fruit. We don't think about it that way, and we don't really hear much about it, but here was the decision Adam and Eve had. In this hand, I have the very best that God can offer me. I have his fellowship. I have uh, his protection. I have his provision. I live in a place that provides my every need and even has trees out there that God created for no other reason than other than be ornamental trees. Beautiful trees just to look at and go ooh and ah over. I have that in this hand. Or I can have in this hand the fruit of that one tree. And they had to make a choice. Which one did they want? You see, you can't have them both. Let me just stop very quickly and, and remind you, child of God. The Bible says you cannot serve God and man. You cannot serve God in riches. You cannot serve God and the flesh all at the same time because your flesh is going to want to go this way and God wants you to go that way. You can't serve them both. Too many children of God are skipping along through life, got one hand on God and one hand on the world or their own flesh, and they just want to go happily through the world. It won't work that way. God saved you to be different from the world. God saved me to come out from the world, not to become more like the world. We forfeited so much. We chose. Now let me share a couple of words with you as we look at this passage and, and, and begin to develop our sermon thought this morning. In verse 26, the word dominion comes from the Hebrew word radha, radha. Uh, that's probably not pronounced the way a Hebrew would, but I'd spit all over everybody three, you, three rows deep. So we'll, we'll go with that. Radha. Right? Radha has the idea of to rule, to tread, to reign, sub, to subdue, or to rule over. In verse 28, it's a completely different word. It is the word kabatz, which means to tread down, to trample, to subjugate. To make something subservient to yourself. Now there is a, a doctrine that is out there today that claims that this is the dominion mandate. That God mandated. He gave a command that we were to go out and we were to dominate over the world. But I would present to you the idea that God did not command us to do that. God simply appointed us to do that for this reason. If you look in the uh, very first word, uh, some of the first words in verse 26 where it says, let us make. That word, let us make, is from the Hebrew word asa, asa, which means to appoint, to designate as. It is used in the book of 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 31, that he also made temples on high places and appointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites. Uh, I understand that this is not the, the child of God doing this. This is not the children of God that are doing this. This is when uh, the north wanted to have their own temple. They said it's too great of a thing for you to go all the way back to the south. They knew that if their people kept going down south to worship the one true God, that they were not going to be able to maintain a, a strong nation up there. And so they invented a new uh, way of worship. They invented a new temple. They invented new priests. They invented a whole new uh, thing. And they said, listen, it is too 
too much to ask you to do this. I understand their thinking because I hear it regularly. Preacher, you are asking too much of us when you ask us to be committed to this church. You are asking too much when you ask us to be faithful to Sunday school. You are requiring too much. I hear people say the Bible requires too much out of me. Listen, we have received everything in Jesus Christ. How could he ever require too much of us now? Goodness gracious, y'all sleepy this morning? All that he has given us. And he asks so little from us. But we act like he's unreasonable. The northern tribes said it's unreasonable to ask you to go all the way down there. But what I wanted you to see is this word asa is the word that is used to trans, uh, that is translated as they appointed. Here's what happened. All right. God had dominion over creation simply because he's the creator. That makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, how in the world does the creation ever rise up against the creator? I mean, it's only just common sense that you cannot rise up and be greater than that which gave you life. The creation only exists because of the creator. Okay? So he is the creator, therefore he has dominion. Now what he did in chapter 1 and verse 26 is he said, let us appoint man in our image, in our likeness. Yes, that refers to the fact that we are a triune being like God is a triune God. I understand that, and there's a, there is all the truth in the world in that. But there is also this idea where God said among the Trinity and the angels, let us appoint Adam and Eve to have the dominion over the earth. Let's appoint Adam and Eve to have this position among the earth. I want to springboard from there and talk about this idea of ground that has been forfeited. Now, please understand, this is not the sum total of what they lost in the Garden of Eden. It's not even the, 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 the greatest loss that they had. You see, the greatest loss they had was that fellowship with God the Father. He came walking in the coolness of the day in the Garden of Eden as he had done every day before, and he had met Adam and Eve every day before there, but this time he came walking in the cool of the day, and Adam and Eve couldn't be found. They were hiding from God because they now knew that they had a sinful nature that they'd gained by disobeying God, and so they're hiding from God, and fellowship has been broken. So this is not the grand subtotal of all that man lost. But I want to use it kind of symbolically of all that is lost with the idea that in Christ Jesus. Listen to me now. In Christ Jesus, everything that we forfeited can be reclaimed and made our own. And that's exciting to me this morning. God said, have dominion. Some say, well, I, 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 in this process of believing in, a, in a, a, a dominion mandate that God mandated that we have dominion, some have, have tried to figure out how to make this fit. You know, if we'll just pick up the Bible and read and study the Bible, we don't have to worry about how to make things fit, do we? Let the Bible interpret the Bible. 
Anytime we read something in the Bible, we scratch our heads and say, well, now, wait a minute. We know this and this and this and this to be true, and so uh, we got to make this fit somehow. You know, that's exactly what the Pharisees did. They took the law of Moses and they saw their own life and they had one of two choices. They could either say the law of Moses is dead right and it shows me that I'm sinful and it points me to Jesus Christ. Or the other option is, let's figure out how to make all this work to our favor. And so that's what they did. And there's a lot of people that look at this dominion mandate and say that God mandated that we be domineering over the earth but then they look at where we're at and say well we're not really dominating over creation so now we have to figure out what else we can do with it some have said it's domination that has to be gained by technological advance that the more we become technologically advanced the more dominating over the created world will be well all you got to do is look at the reality of the world in which we live to see that that's not true. There has never been a time since the fall in the Garden of Eden where man has dominated the creation as God gave to him and appointed him to have. And yet God, uh, uh, the first man, the first couple, Adam and Eve, they did have dominion over the world. As I mentioned, they came and they walked among the animals. Uh, All the animals passed by them. Adam began to name them. There was no fear. There's no volcanoes. There's no hurricanes. There's no tornadoes. There's none of this stuff. As a matter of fact, if you will really go back and study it, you're going to find that all of that stuff began at about the time or shortly after the flood because of all the water. You can take a bucket of water and you can begin to swirl it. You can swirl it slow. But after a period of time, what's going to happen? Come on, wake up, y'all. What happens with water when you start doing this? It builds up what? Centrifugal force. All right? And the more centrifugal force it picks up as it builds speed, what's going to happen to the bucket? Can you hold it still like this anymore? No, it's going to wobble you all around everywhere. Same scenario with the earth. Same scenario with the earth. All right? When, when, when the world was flooded, all that water and the earth already spinning began to wobble. It kicked it over on its axis. And now we find a lot of the seasons that we have. And we find a lot of the other things that begin to come into play. But it wasn't that way to begin with. Adam and Eve were not that technologically advanced. As a matter of fact, most of our kids today would say they were cavemen. I mean, my goodness, they didn't have an Apple phone that had... 48 gig or whatever, you know, to to store memory on. They'd say, well, they don't have a switch to play video games on. I'm still amazed by that. Just amazes me that any, any, any toy manufacturer would manufacture a toy for kids and call it switch. It just amazes me. They, we would say that they were not very technologically advanced, and yet they had that dominion over the earth. Some say it's a moral dominion. Well, if you have a moral dominion over the animal kingdom or the rest of the created world, do you really have dominion? For an animal has no morals. I walk after that tree and it ain't got nary, and I know that's poor English, but it ain't got nary a bit of morals or conscience. 
So if I, if I have the moral dominion over this created world, I really don't have much. And besides, if you remember in the 14th Psalm, the Bible says this, The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who desires good. No, not one. Does that sound like a group of people that have a moral dominion? I don't think so. So again, I would say, let's let the word help us to understand this. Ground that was given. In Genesis 1, God said, let us appoint man to have the domination over the created world. There will be no fear of animals. There will be no animal attacks. There'll be no devastation from quote-unquote natural phenomena. The world will be subjected to them. Not because they went out and conquered it by their technological advance. But because I, the Father, the creator of it all, created it and appointed man in my likeness and in my image to have that domination over it. The ground was given, but the ground was forfeited. You know, since that day, lions, bears, rhinoceros, sharks, snakes, stingrays, jellyfish, all these animals prove that mankind does not have a domination any longer. I have several instances, I won't probably use them all, and I weeded through a lot of them. I didn't pick, as I went back and I did some research on how many times and how many lives have been lost or severely injured as the result of the attack of an animal, and I weeded out a lot of the lions and the tigers and the bears, oh my, and I, I weeded out a lot of the, uh, the things that we would naturally expect, the grizzly bears and, and, and the cobras and the this snakes and that. But there's a few that I kept that I wanted to share with you just for interest's sake and to help prove a point. A zookeeper in 2012, by the way, most all of these came from 2012. I thought that was rather ironic. A zookeeper in 2012 found himself in stable condition in a Sydney hospital on a Saturday, a day after he was crushed by a young male elephant during a training session. In 2009, Charles Darnell awoke Wednesday morning to find his girlfriend's two-year-old daughter in the tight clutches of his 12-foot pet Burmese python. Now, let me just say very quickly, if you have a pet snake, God love you. And bless your heart. But something about a 12-foot ball python and, and a pet just don't belong in the same sentence. <laughs> but this guy had this snake in, in, in 2009. It got out of its cages, its confines, and it killed this child. A leopard seal killed a snorkeling scientist in 2003 on August the 6th. The death of a British marine biologist in Antarctica uh, is thought to be the first human fatality caused by a leopard seal. Scientists fear that there will be further attacks 
as the number of people working in that region continued to rise. Goes on to say, Christy Brown was dragged underwater by the seal while snorkeling near a particular town that I can't begin to pronounce there in the Antarctic Peninsula. Even man's best friend can become a dangerous threat. In 2012, a three-year-old was bit in the face by a dog. Thankfully, he will make full recovery. But this is not an uncommon situation. Dogs are animals, and while they can be the best of pets, they can also become dangerous, and they can move from one to the other without warning. The Wall Street Journal reported in February of 2002, a killer whale had killed a SeaWorld trainer, Don Branchot, during a live performance. The orca dragged her into the water by her ponytail, which caused her to become scalped, and then after a combination of blunt force traumas and drowning, she eventually passed away. Say, well, yeah, but... Okay, so you're not talking about lions and bears and tigers, but, I mean, we're talking about orca whales and big seals, and, and everybody knows a dog can turn on you. Pay attention to these last couple, and then we'll move on. Even animals that are non-carnivious. Anybody ever watched any of the uh, Jurassic Park movies? Remember the little girl that's scared to death sitting on a train? Uh, sitting on a train, sitting in a tree? And she's asking the, the star, is that a meat eater? Or is that a veggie source? She was wanting to make sure that that was a non-carnivorous type dinosaur. One that doesn't eat meat. So here's an example of a non-carnivorous non -car uh, animal. And not only just that, but one that generally we think of as being a domesticated animal. One that we care for, one that we feed often, one that we take care of it and, and, we, and, and, and you know, we provide it a place to get out of the weather and so forth. But here's what happened. A 24-year-old man died in 2012 on a farm near Plain City in Union County when this bull stampeded him and killed him. You see, this is an animal that's not killing for meat. Bulls don't eat meat. They don't have a taste for blood. This is an animal that has been raised in the stable, if you will, from time to time. And, 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 and the, that this guy goes out regularly and puts out bales of hay and puts out grain and he does all this and anyway. And for some unknown reason, on one day, out of the clear blue sky, the bull says, I'm not doing this no more. And he killed the guy. Near Nepal... A ferocious leper killed 15 people over 15 months. So well, you said you weren't going to use lepers and tigers, but to show you that over a little over a year, 15 people lost their life to this animal. The fire officials were called out to a place called Icebox Canyon, 345 one afternoon in 2012, because a swarm of bees... Not the killer bees that we heard were coming, but just simply a swarm of bees began to attack. One man was killed. The other one had to be lifted up, uh, airlifted to a hospital for the numerous stings that he had received. And two others went and hid in the crevice of a rock trying to avoid the stings of all these bees. Now, not only 
does man show that he doesn't have dominion by these attacks? But let me, let me get you to follow with me for just a minute. Often when we hear of a dog attacking somebody, we capture the dog, if at all possible, and put the dog down. You can't do that with these bees, can you? Now, how are you going to find the... Of course, they're going, to, they're going to die on their own after they've stung. But our dominion is not only that we can't keep them from attacking us, but we don't even really have the ability in some of these cases to carry out any type of a judgment upon them. It appears to me that we do not have the dominion that God appointed us to have. It appears to me that it has been forfeited and we no longer have that again some have tried to say well I think it's we, we, we gain it as we become more technological or we gain it through morality or we gain it here there and yonder somebody argued that we're, the, the psalm that I read to begin this morning Psalm 8-6 where it talks about everything being placed under man but let me remind you that Paul himself quotes uh, Psalm 8, 6 in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 27 and he refers to that very same passage but what he says is when he quotes from that that this is not a reference to you and I but it is a reference to Jesus Christ and he's right. One can only look at the Bible and see very quickly that at one time man had dominion was appointed so by God himself but as we look now Man certainly doesn't have that. Brother David Tate can share with you without any uh, you know, hesitation and, and be very, very, very graphic and, and, and have a detailed account. He's been to at least three or four different places since I've been here as your pastor over five years to go and work to get electricity and so forth back up and running after hurricanes. Shortly after Hurricane Katrina came through, I moved down to the Gulf Coast to help my dad uh, in, in the electrical business, and his health was failing him, and uh, I would drive, and I would see where there were steps that led up to a, a slab of concrete, and it became very obvious that those were the steps that led into the concrete floor of a house, and the problem being now is that there were steps and there was a concrete slab, but there was no house. It's gone. It is completely gone. If we're so domineering over the created world, how is it that we stand so helpless when Hurricane Sandy's, when Hurricane Katrina's, and this hurricane and that hurricane? How are we so helpless? How do we lose so many thousands of acres every year in California to wildfires if we have the domineering uh, uh, position that God gave us over the created world? The simple answer is, and you can't explain it any other way, we have forfeited all that God gave us by sin. There is an event that happened in the book of Genesis. God said, and he was dead serious when he said it. Do not eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat of it, immediately you will die. And then you will begin to die. And there will be a ton, a ton of further problems that's going to result from that. So he didn't say that. He told them that dying they would die and when you see the curses being handed out and you follow this, this trek of humanity on earth, 
you'll find out that there was a lot involved in the day that we took all he gave us in one hand and the fruit in the other. And we said, mm, here you can have this back, Lord. I want this fruit. I'd rather have it. And humanity lost fellowship with the Father. They lost the Garden of Eden. And from that moment on is when the animal kingdom rose up against mankind. And from that moment on is when some of these natural phenomena began to play, take place. You don't believe me? Do me a favor, if you will. Open your Bibles very quickly to Job chapter 41. Take him for a servant forever? Wilt thou play with him as with a, a bird? Or wilt thou bind him for thy maidens? Shall the compa companions make a banquet of him? Shall they part him among the merchants? Canst thou fill his skin with barbed irons? Or his head with fish spears? Lay thine hand upon him. Remember the battle. Do no more. Job chapter 40, verse 24. I wrote down the wrong passage, I'm sorry. But the same, the same is said about the behemoth. Job, can you handle the behemoth? So in Genesis, God says, listen, I've given you that position. I've, I've, I've appointed you that. But in Job, you've lost all that. So the ground was given, the ground was forfeited, but I want you to know this morning, and this is the exciting part of it all, that in Jesus Christ, the ground can be regained. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, Paul describes that the Messiah, Jesus, all of his enemies will be put under his feet. 
But it goes on to say that we are heirs and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation chapter 1, we find out that, 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 that Jesus Christ, who now has that authority and that dominion, is going to now make us to be priests and kings to rule with him. That dominion can be reclaimed. You know, everybody talks about when we all get to heaven, and, 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 and please don't, don't run out of here and, and not listen to me. We're all going to heaven if you know Jesus Christ, your first Savior. But please understand, we won't live in eternity while all the ages roll, even though that gets preached so oftentimes. The Bible says that God will create a new heaven and a new earth. The Bible says that God would not create an earth to be uninhabited and void. He says that in the Old Testament prophets. The Bible clearly teaches that there is a time in which we will come back to this earth and we will lay, rule and reign on this earth. In other words, what God wanted in the Garden of Eden, God's going to make sure it happens when it's all said and done for those that are his children. Because he is going to reclaim every bit of the ground that you and I forfeited. He is going to reclaim it and welcome us in as a part of that domineering domination over his created world. Ground forfeited. Or ground, pardon me, ground given, ground forfeited, and there's not a thing we could ever do to get it back. But Jesus Christ has regained it for us. What a beautiful thought. I want to share with you just a couple other things. I found this. This is not original with me, so I can't take any credit for it. Uh, I believe this was in an Adrian Rogers book that I was reading here a while back. Jesus came as he did to be what he was. In other words, he came to be born of a virgin to be what he was, and that is holy. Had he been born of the son of Adam, then he would have had Adam's nature. He would have been a sinner because in Adam all have sinned and died. He would have also been a slave for the son of a slave is himself a slave, according to Hebrews 2.14. But he came as he did, born of a virgin, to be what he was, and that was holy. Jesus was what he was to do what he did. Jesus was what he was, holy, to do what he did, which was redeem us. He became sin, our sin, paying the full price of our sin. And in exchange, exchange said, here's my righteousness. I'll take your sin, you take my righteousness to restore that broken fellowship with the Father, to redeem us. Jesus did what he did, redeem us, that we might have forgiveness of sins, the cleansing, a new nature, that we would have the kingdom authority, and that we would be a brand new race. Jesus did what he did so that we might regain, or have regained, all that was forfeited. Jesus was born of a virgin that we might be born again. Jesus became the son of man that we might become the sons and daughters of God. And Jesus died in agony that we might live in victory. 
Brother Adrian Rogers also said this when he described that fall in the Garden of Eden. He said, now Adam was without the Lord. He was a depraved sinner. Now Adam was without the life because he had died. And now Adam was without the light for now he walked in darkness. So much, so much that could have been and should have been ours.